This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Monty and the Pharaoh Show is brought to you by... Because wine is your second favorite four-letter word. California wine, New York attitude, good fucking wine. Yeah. You need a body shop? You need engine repair? Auto Excellence. Collision Specialist. 631-261-6420. That's 631-261-6420. Auto Excellence. Set up, baby. All right, that, that's the first there we go, thing baby. Let's fix this up. Yeah, I'll cut all this out. Don't worry about it. That's right. Sets all backwards though. Yeah, that's always that's a problem. Right. All right, so a special Tuesday with Tony Atlas here. Tony's here from uh, Maine. He came down. He's doing a little signing on Wednesday, so he's visiting uh, indie music studios along with uh, one half of Long Island's number one pro wrestler broadcast, Monty Nefaro. So I want to say, Tony, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you there, Monty. It's always great coming on the number one, number one wrestling entertainment show. See, I got my Monty Nefaro here, and then I got my Spectacle here. 
Okay. So how y'all like that look, baby? You know, Farrow uses that little gimmick. Farrow do that too. He got his reading glasses here, and he got it. Well, you know, over the week, I want to apologize to your fan. You know, I know the month is about over the month of February, but we all know that February is Black History Month. Mm. So I think I talked to Martin, and I said, Martin, let's, let us do a little segment a little bit on uh, Black History. Now, in the in the struggle for freedom here in America, uh, we all fought for it. Blacks fought for it. Oriental fought for it. Uh, Irish, Dutch, German, every American fought for freedom. But over the years, when it comes to the struggle of Black uh, American, I say Black America, but if y'all prefer, I would say African Americans. Uh, the struggle for African America didn't start with Martin Luther King. So what I asked Marty to do is try to talk about tonight, I'd like to talk about tonight, about those that have sacrificed a lot for the struggle of freedom of African Americans uh, in this country that didn't get the recognition that I felt that they deserved. Uh, I, I went on the computer because I'm not the brightest bub in the room, you know, the, the lights on, but nobody home upstairs, you know. Uh, the doctor was going to give me a blood test, and I stayed up all night to study for it. Uh, the doctor told me if my IQ was one point less, I'd be a banana. So that's why I, I asked Marty to do me this favor, to help me with this episode of Tuesday with Tony Atlas. Now, the first person I want to talk to, talk about, and uh, I brought a little thing here for Marty. And so Marty's going to read y'all a little something about this person. So I'm, I'm going to just take liner notes of some bullet points. Okay, right? sir. Yeah. So John Quincy Adams' uh, second career in Congress, uh, Adams' long second career in Congress was at least as important as the earliest as a uh, diplomat. Throughout, he was conspicuous uh, as an opponent, and the expansion of slavery was a heart of abolishment, uh, though he never became one of the polit in a political sense of the word. So he tried to abolish slavery. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And what year was that? 1839. 1839. We have John Quincy Adams. Now, I want y'all to know that don't never hear that name. John Quincy Adams was Caucasian, not black. He was a Caucasian man. Now, I know a lot of blacks that back in them days, it was very, very hard for a black person to try to fight for freedom. It had to be twice as hard for a Caucasian to fight for freedom. During that time, they probably look at him as being a traitor to his race. You know, he took the stand uh, for us back in the eight. This is way before the Civil War. And it's more that Marty going to read to you. And then he get down the land. I'm, I'm going to show you. Now, they made a movie about him, too. But it didn't got the, the view that it should have. Uh, but but Marty going to tell you some more about John Quincy Adams. So, some liner notes again. Adams presented a petition from 22 slaves and threatened by his opponents with censor. Uh, he defended himself with remarkable keenness and ability. At each of these sessions, a majority against it decreased until in 19, 1884. His motion to repeal the standing 21st gag rule, gag rule yeah. was carried by vote 108 to 80, and his long battle was over. So uh, I'm assuming that he was threatened with a gag rule. That's what I was saying, you know, because here, here you talk about see slavery back in the back in the day. Even though it, it was a horrible, horrible thing, you know, I, I don't agree with. I don't agree to put anybody in slavery. But slavery was also an economic thing, you know. If you know, and slaves were not slaves were not for for the poor. I mean, if you was poor, you know, you would you couldn't buy a slave. I mean, buying a slave back then was like buying a brand new Mercedes Benz today or buying a Rolls Royce. I mean, they were very, very expensive. And it was a labor. You know, it was a way for, for people to, 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 to work the fields and have the labor uh, uh, to do it. See, back in the old days, they didn't have backhoes. They didn't have tractors. Uh, they didn't have plows. So everything was manual. So, so you, you know, you take the the the, uh, the pyramids in Egypt. Labor built that. They didn't use a crane to put up 
put up them stones. They didn't use a backhoe. Uh, 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 they didn't use a forklift to lift them stones. They used manual labor. And labor, when, when you're building a new country, and America at that time was a, a new country being developed. So you need a lot of labor in order to develop. So so slavery was just not a thing that, that were white against black. Slavery was, was a thing about economics because you need the labor. They didn't have enough labor to to perform what needed to be performed. You know, the, the fields, the, the cotton fields, the corn fields, the, 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 the pig farms, all that stuff. You needed labor because at that time, the South was the breadbasket of the United States. So people in Massachusetts, you know, if you was in Massachusetts, you want to, you know, uh, you want to have pork, it'd have to come from North Carolina or South Carolina. If you want to buy a nice wood jacket or a nice wood sweater, I mean, the cotton came from South Carolina or Louisiana. But you have to have somebody to pick that cotton, somebody to, uh, to you know, to do all, all the labor. So labor was very, very, very important to, it was like a business. So slavery was not a thing definitely about race. It was about business. You know, we need this labor in order to, to manufacture all the goods that America, uh, America needs. Uh, you're going to go tell some more. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. The United States in 1842. 1842. That with the exception of Florida, no new state should be admitted into the Union with slavery. I hear that. And that neither slavery, slavery nor slave trade should exist in the District of Columbia after July 4th, 1845. Now, ain't that something? Now, this is all before the Civil War. Now, the Civil War would have found an episode, but this was a guy that put his career, I mean, he was a congressman. I mean, he was he was in line to be president. In fact, I may be wrong. It might be in here. Molly may find it, but I might be wrong. But I think he lost the presidency because of his, you know, the, the way he felt. He felt that every man on the earth should have freedom. He didn't feel that any, no man should enslave uh, 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 another man. And it's, it's more there. Now, they made a movie about John Quincy Adams. It's somewhere in here, uh, down here at the bottom. Let me, let me take off yeah, my body glasses and put on my spectacle so I can see what I'm talking about. Right here, I'm good there. Here's the movie they made right here. That's what he was known for. Okay, so we got another spectacular contribution to Adams to the anti-slavery cause was his championing of the cause of Africans arrested aboard the slave ship Amstad. Amstad. Right. Uh, slaves who had mutinied and escaped from their Spanish owners off the coast of Cuba had gone and wound up bringing up the ship into the United States waters near Long Island. Long Island, where we at? That's great. Yeah, 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 go on there with that. All right. New York, Adams defended their freedom before the Supreme Court in 1841 against the efforts uh, administration of President Martin Van Buren to return them to their master's and an inevitable death, Adams won their freedom. See there? See there? Now, Adams was not African-American. In fact, I don't know if y'all can see this. I'm going to try my best to show y'all John Quincy Adams. That's him. That's the man in the 1800s fought for my freedom. And every time they had Black History Week or Black History Month, I find... It's a shame, it's an absolute shame that this man is not talked about. I mean, he was a condiment, he was threatened, he put his life on the line, and he did it all for me. He did it for Muhammad Ali, he did it for Martin Luther King, he did it for Barack Obama. Every black America should know this name, John Chrissy Adams. And this was, what, 18-something? We talked about 200 years ago. So when you talk about some of the people, the first <coughs> civil rights worker, if John Quincy Adams is not mentioned as one, as, a, as one of the first civil rights workers, then you leave it out. In everything in life, every plant that grows, every tree that grows, before there's a tree, there's something you call a root. I'm talking about the root 
of the civil rights movement. This man is at the beginning of the root. This is the root of the tree. It's not the branches. It's not the leaves. It's the root. Okay, tell, tell me some more about Mr. Adams there. Well, uh, John Quincy Adams uh, ended up dying of a stroke in 1848. That's a shame. Uh, and, you know, and there's a picture of him having a yeah, stroke so, on the Congress floor. So basically, you know, this guy was a, uh, led the forefront in trying yes. to stop. And I got to tell you the truth. I never thought about John Quincy Adams. As yeah, because, because every, every, every time that they do a black history, they, they make it look like that we won this battle, just us. You was not involved. Anybody that was Caucasian was not involved, which is absolutely un. True. As President Trump would say, fake news. Right. Every time you have a civil rights movie, you hear about uh, all the black people that fought for their freedom. But these black people would not have, have, have a threshold or ground to stand on without the support of non-blacks. And there was a lot of them. It wasn't just John Quincy Adams. I mean, John Quincy Adams is, is one of them. Another gentleman, I know I'm, I'm, you know how Tony do, I'm all over the place. I mean, one minute I'm, I'm on the moon, next minute I'm on the sun, next minute I'm on earth, and next minute I don't know what the hell I'm at. There's another gentleman that I like. I get Marty to do that because Marty's a butter reader to me. His, his pronunciation. I'm not, I'm, not sure, I'm not so sure about that guy. His, his pronunciation is a whole lot better than my pronunciation. John Brown. John Brown. Boynton, Connecticut. Now, this is something that I just learned today. You know, you got a West Virginia. When, when he was around, there was no West Virginia. There was just Virginia. And listen to what he's going to tell you about that. Yeah. Uh, I just so, one here. Let me just see. Uh, in 1959 in Virginia, they made him uh, the, what is that? Matador. No, 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 start here. You have, to, yeah, you have to start, you have to start you here. here. So yeah, yeah, militant yeah, right and American abolishments whose raid on the federal arsenal in Harpers Ferry, Virginia. Harpers Ferry. In 1859, they made uh, to anti-slavery cause was instrumental in the heightening sectional uh, that word. led to American Civil War. So he, was, so he was like a, is this fair enough to be uh, almost like a vigilant, not a vigilante, but, you know, before the Civil War started, he had a group of people that were fighting against slavery. Yes. And this was in what year we talked about? See, back then, if, if you look at it, it said, it said, 18, uh, it, it said, it said Charlestown, Virginia. Right. Charlestown, Virginia. Now Charlestown, Virginia don't exist no more. Charlestown, Virginia is now West Virginia. You see what I'm saying? See, see, West Virginia went with the uh, South. Virginia went with the South. West Virginia went with the Union. That's how they separated. That became West Virginia and Virginia before it was just Virginia. There was no West Virginia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go on with a little bit more. So it's, fair to, it's just fair to say that he started this after the death of John Quincy Adams. So he almost was taking on the cause, right? It, 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 and it went on and on. There is a whole lot more history here that I want him to read. And there's a lot more Caucasians that he's going to mention here that was involved other than John Brown and John Quincy Adams. Caucasians, we talk about that. And this is Black History Month. Black History Month. Black History Month have nothing to do with just black people. Black History Month got to do with American fight for every American to have freedom. It had nothing to do with black people. Now, y'all may get mad at me for saying that. But if you know your history, you know there was a hell of a lot more people involved in this other than just black people fighting for this cause. Though he was white, in 1849, Brown settled with his family in a black community founding in Founded at North Elber, New York, on land donated by New York anti-slavery philanthropist Jerry Smith, long of a foe of slavery. Brown became obsessed with the idea of taking overt action to help win justice for enslaved black people. In 1855, he followed five of his sons to the Kansas Territory to assist anti-slavery forces struggling for control there. A conflict that became known as Bleeding Can uh, Kansas. Bleeding Kansas. While yeah. a wagon laden with guns and ammunition, Brown settled and soon became the leader of the anti-slavery guerrillas in that area.
You don't look black to me. That's John Brown. This is the man that sacrificed everything. Everything. And when I say everything, when, when he gets to the end of these notes that I got, you're going to understand what I mean by this man sacrificed everything, everything for me. I want people to know this. I want them to know this. Let me see what here. Uh, and this is Black History Month. So brooding over a sack of, of a town of Lawrence by a mob of slavery sympathizers, Brown concluded that he had a divine mission to take vengeance. Three days later, he led a nighttime retaliatory raid on pro-slavery settlement in Pachaquin Creek with five men who dragged out of their cabins and hacked to death. After the raid, which became known as the Potomacan Massacre, massacre mm -hmm. a name of Old Brown conjured a fearful image among local slavery apologists. So basically, he, you know, he was a vigilante. He was a vigilante. He was a vigilante, but but uh, he now he went he went to extreme about it. But but back in them days, he felt the best way uh, to get people attention is to go all out. And he went all out for us. I mean, he, he sacrificed everything in order for African America and America to live like everybody else. John Christian Adam is one, uh, a John Brandon Dutta. Now, there's a whole lot more, but I, I had a short time, but I do know of these two people called my mom used to talk about them because I'm from born in Clifton Forbes, and my mom talked about it all the time. So, so and they even made movies about John Brown. They didn't put him in the best light. Let's put it that way. They made him look like this. He was this crazy guy. They didn't know what the hell. Is. But all these men were very well educated. I mean, John Quincy Allen was in Congress. So he wasn't illiterate. Uh, uh, Brown, he grew up poor. He lives among blacks. I mean, he lived, he was uh, he was a kid that struggled his whole life. They, he lives among black people. And he got to know them. And he, he didn't know them as slaves. He got to know black people as human beings. So he saw us as a human. He didn't see me as black. He didn't see Pharaoh. Uh, 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 as a Caucasian, he saw us as Americans. And I'm doing this program, so when you think about black history uh, of, 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 of all the immigrants that came to this country, and the blacks wasn't the only one. The Orientals went through this, the same thing, Chinese and, and Japanese people. The, the, I want to do this right. The Catholic Irish went through the same thing. Mm. The Italians went through the same thing, but they overcame it through hard work, pulling themselves up and respect for each other. And they gained the respect of the American people. And I'm doing this hoping, hoping that my race eventually would do what the Irish did, would do what the Chinese did, would do what the Jewish people did. You know, Jewish people went through hell and high water, not just here in America, but in Europe and in, and in Egypt. If you read the Bible, I mean, Moses led the, the Jewish people from, from, from Egypt, you know, across the river that swallowed Pharaoh's army. Can, can, can I ask you a question? Yes, to, sir. To bring it to wrestling, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, this is the reason I do it. At the end, I'm going to explain why. Well, I, I, I do want to ask a question. So you're picking out uh, Caucasians who, who fought for the right of African-Americans. Right. In wrestling, right, you were in the 70s, and right. you've explained many times on the Tuesdays with Tony and right. many other interviews that the struggles uh, the black man had to deal with in pro wrestling, right, and how only one star was allowed in a certain area. Right. What Caucasian in wrestling fought for the rights of African Americans? Cowboy Bill Watts. Why? Cowboy Bill Watts got kicked out of the NWA. It used to be the NWA. Now, the NWA had, uh, it went from the South, uh, Southeast, all the way to the Northeast. Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, California, uh, uh, Louisiana, Oklahoma, North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, Florida, was all part of the NWA. 
Remember, Ric Flair was NWA champion. Right. Harley Race was NWA champion. Now, the WWF at that time was the WWF. There were three W. They did from Maine to Maryland. Once you got past Maryland, that was called the Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. Now, Mid-Atlantic was part of the NWA. Right. Now, the guy that started the NWA was a guy by the name of uh, uh, Eddie Graham out of Florida. Mm-hmm. He was the one that got all these promoters come to form this group. They had three major companies, NWA, a, uh, AWA, which was Vern Gagne up in uh, – Vern Gagne was the, the second larger group, believe it or not. Uh, he went from Minneapolis, Minnesota, all the way to Las Vegas. I mean, me, I wrestled with Captain uh, uh, with uh, uh, Jumpy Jim Bronzel uh, against the War Warrior in AWA back around '85 or '86 when I was uh, doing when I was there, and, and, and that was the three big companies. Now the WWF, believe it or not, were the smallest of all of them. NWA was that was the thing. If you look at a title, they didn't have a uh, the Mid-Atlantic title was local. Mm-hmm. Uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling uh, Champion. Uh, they had all these different champions of different territory, but they had one champion that went from the south, uh, southeast all the way across the United States to the northeast. So that whole bottom of the United States, Texas, everything, Louisiana, uh, uh, Kentucky, Tennessee, as Jeremy the King Lawler, he was part of the NWA. Right. So all of that was NWA. Everything that was not AWA or WWF was NWA back then. Right. That's why the NWA, to me, was the best champion because you you have to go and fight the Georgia champion. You have to fight the Texas champion. You have to fight the Louisiana champion. You know, the Mid-South champion. Bill Watts territory was called Mid-South was Oklahoma. Uh, and Louisiana. So Watts was part of that board of NWA. Right, and Bill, and Bill Watts, was the, the, what he did, He the first time that he crossed over, they have never, except for one time, been a black person working in the office. They called, at that time, they called it the Booker. Mm-hmm. Now, the Booker is the number two guy. That's the number two man. The promoter. So let's say the WWF. Vince McMahon was a promoter, owner, and founder. Pat Patterson was the booker. He was the number two guys in charge. Bill Watts made Ernie Ladd, Ernie the Cat Ladd. He played professional football in the Football Hall of Fame. Great gentleman. Made Ernie Ladd the first booker. Also, Cowboy Bill Watts made Ron Summers the first African-American world champion. Let's go back to the Booker part, though. When he made Ernie Ladd Booker, did he get a lot of heat for allowing Ernie Ladd to be a Booker? Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, yes, he did. A lot of the, a lot of the people was against him. Because even right now today, in most offices, there's no black people in the office. You find a lot of black wrestlers at champion, a lot of black wrestlers at this, a lot of black wrestlers at that. But when it comes to the office, there was no blacks in any office, nowhere, until Bill Watts did it. So Bill Watts joined these people, Cowboy Bill Watts. He joined John Brown. He joined uh, John Quincy Adams. So like I said, even in wrestling, you have black people that fought for the rights of other black wrestlers. Another guy that nobody talked about, I wish I had his name. His name was Sputney. Monroe. Now, Sputney Monroe, <laughs> Ric Flair stole from him. Cadillac Dama Rayman. That was Sputney. If you can find some old interview of Sputney Monroe, mm-hmm. everything that he had to strut, Ric Flair took Sputney Monroe strut. When you see Sputney Monroe, you see Ric Flair, you see Sputney Monroe. When I first met Sputney Monroe, I was in Amarillo, Texas. I worked for uh, Dory Funk, who is Terry Funk's brother. Dory Funk Jr., because there's a Dory Funk Sr. So I said, hey, where can I get some soul food? I mean, I wanted some oxtails, some, some mac and cheese, you know, you know, with the little crumbs on top, and you bake it so to get that crust on it. You know, you, 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 you know what I'm talking about. That's good stuff. 
they're the collard greens, you know, with a little bit of fat back laid over in that. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all that, you know, no soul food, soul food we're talking about. So they say, that's Sputnik. Now we had a black wrestler in the territory named Ray Candy. Every time I asked for something, they didn't say ask Ray Candy, who was black, African American. They said ask Sputnik. So I said, hey, I like that good little action going tonight. Back then with me, action, you know, have sex. You know, I used to have sex. You know, now having sex with me like playing pool with a rope, you know, so so no enjoyment there. On a woman's end, no enjoyment. Me, I'm having a good time, you know. 30 suckers, I'm good. 30 suckers, I'm done. They're good, I'm good, I'm good with that. But anyway, make a long story short, <laughs> they said, talk to Sputner. So I Sputner knew all the black people. So Sputner was also a heel. Now also, Sputner Monroe, used to, his manager, when he first started, was the fabulous moolah. Oh. Yeah, and they used to call her the slave girl. Uh -huh. She used to wear a, a leopard-like jacket, and, and she used to manage Sputnik Monroe, the fabulous moolah. Wow. So anyway, I go out to the ring, and I look out. I say, oh, man, I'm going to do good tonight. 80%, 80% of the audience is black. I know I'm going to do good. So I go out, people, a couple people go, Hey, I flex my muscle. Hey. Then here comes Sputnik with that walk. <laughs> the place come unglued. Every black person in the ring is cheering for Sputnik. I'm sitting there looking. I said, hey, hey, come on, come on. I'm black. You black. He's white. I'm black. You black. He's white. Why are you cheering for him? Sputnik, Sputnik, Sputnik. So every time Sputnik hit me, everybody go, yay! I hear Sputnik go, boo! He was loved by black people all over. The only other guy that I knew in this business that had that charisma with African Americans was uh, the American Dream, Dusty Rose. I was with Dusty Rose many times. And uh, one time we was there doing TV. When Ted Turner had the first cable Network started in 1973. This there was no CNN then. When you turn on uh, TBS, you got wrestling and old movies. That's what it was. Turn up, broadcast, you know, classic movies. That's what T, you know TBS was. Turn up broadcast, and he would show all. He brought up brought up all these old movies, and the only time that you saw anything in color in color were when a wrestler came on. So Ted Turner had a great love for pro wrestling, a great love for it, a great, great, great love for it. So he had the first cable network. TBS Georgia Championship Wrestling at that time went into 48 different states. The only state it did not go into was Alaska and Hawaii. So that's why when I went to the WWF in the 80s, everybody knew me. Before his death, uh, Bill Watts, Cowboy Bill, I mean, not Bill Watts, uh, Bruiser Brody, King Kong Bruiser Brody. And I was talking to him one day, I said, Brody, you're pretty popular. He said, I'm not as popular as you, Tony. He said, because you're on that TV, he said, you go from, you know from coast to coast because you're on that TV. So getting back to Dusty Rose, so one day I'm sitting there, we're getting ready to do TV taping. We do TV taping in Atlanta, Georgia. And then the next day, we do TV taping in uh, Columbia, Georgia with Fred Walk. Jim Barnett was the Atlanta promoter. Fred Walk was the Columbia and Maker, Georgia promoter. So we're going to do uh, 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 TV with this black lady on the outside. And she had mac and cheese. She had collard greens. And she had oven fried chicken. When you fried chicken in the oven, that's what was real popular down south. Oven fried chicken. You know, you fried it in the oven. Yeah, sure. Later on, it came up with a thing called shake and bake. That's a, that yeah. pretty much the same thing when you shake and bake. Yeah. So anyway, I said, well, me and Tommy Wildfire Rich was riding the gun. So I said, Tommy said, oh, we're going to eat good night tea. I said, why is that? He said, he said, look at the sister there. She got a whole basket full of food. I know that for you, T. I know that for you, T. Y'all know you're going to give me some of that food, ain't you, T? I said, yeah, Tommy, you know me. You're going to turn that food all the pieces. So I went up to the lady. I go, hi. She go, oh, hi. Oh, wait a minute. What's going on here? I said, what you got there? She said, oh, you want to know what I got here? I said, yes, ma'am. What you got there? I got some fried chicken. 
I got some macaroni and cheese. And I also got them nice collard greens. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't drown them. I cook them in very low water so they'd be nice and crispy. I said, oh, ma'am, thank you. She said, thank me for what? I said, is that for me? She said, no. I said, who is it for? That's for Dusty. <laughs> That's wrong. I mean, you mean Dusty Rose? That's she wrong. Said, she said, yeah, the blue-eyed soul, brother. That's wrong. She said, that's my blue-eyed soul, brother. And I said, well, when I see your blue-eyed soul, brother, I'm going to tell him to give me a piece of that damn chicken. <laughs> so showing sure up, that's what it was. I mean, Dusty, was, Dusty Rose was loved, loved by black, by African Americans. You know, Sputnik Monroe was loved by African American. And Dustin did a lot for black people. I mean, he helped me a lot uh, in Georgia. He gave Skip Young his first break as Sweet Brown Sugar. Mm -hmm. I mean, Skip went all over. Skip was a hell of an athlete. Dustin gave, he gave Rocket Johnson a great break, you know, because Rocket wrestled in uh, 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 Florida. And Dustin went to bat for Rocket to make sure that Rocket was taken care of. He went to bat for Ernie Ladd. And if you talk to any black wrestler from the 70s, now these younger guys, they don't know Dustin. They have nothing bad to say about Dusty Rhodes. They can't. Dusty Rhodes took very, very good good care. And he treated us like when we were around Dustin, we didn't feel like we were around a Caucasian guy. I mean, he talked to talk. He walked to walk. He was a great guy. Sputnik Monroe was a great guy. Cowboy Bill Watt. You take these two Canadians, George and Sandy Scott. I mean, they promoted me. They pushed the hell, pushed the hell out of uh, 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 Rufus R. Freight Train Jones, who was an African-American wrestler. I mean, they pushed Rufus. Rufus never got a real good break. People talk about Ole Anderson being racist. Because Ole was just, Ole, he had no filter. Ole would call you the N-word. He would call you a dumb Polak. He would call you anything, but mean none of it. He mean absolutely none of it. He made me Georgia champion. He made Thunderbolt Patterson, who was another African-American. He made Thunderbolt the king. I remember one time, Thunderbolt and Ole got in the argument, and Ole always cursed. He called you a stupid piece of crap or stupid mm. piece of this. He was like old football coach, you know, right. where get in your face. And he did it. He was a big Polish guy, big, strong, 275 pound Polish guy with 20 inch, got arms like the fire, them big old 20 inch guns, you know, natural big arms, you know. <laughs> so he would talk to him. <clears throat> Thunderbolt went in the office one day. And he said, he said, look, I want you to get Dick Slater over. Dick Slater was a very popular wrestler. He's going to fight Thunderbolt, uh, Thunderbolt Patterson. So he said, I'd like for somehow for Slater to cheat and get a win on you. You just want me to win because I'm black. And Ole turned and said, if you was white, I'll fire your ass with that much shit you give me. He said, the only reason I keep you because you're black. He said, a white wrestler is a dime a dozen in this business. A good drawn black wrestler is very hard to find. Mm. So Thunderbolt, when people talk about racism in wrestling, I said, yeah, there was a lot of racism in wrestling. A lot of it. But it was all pointed towards white people. If you was black, we was needed so badly. Because there wasn't many black wrestlers, not right. like today, wasn't many black wrestlers. So if you look back at your history book, had it ever dawned on you that every black wrestler ever been in this business was a main eventer? Think about it. We was never the underdog on any. Was there ever a te was certain territories that black wrestlers like you all spoke and said don't go up there because it's just not a good area to go to? Or no, really no, they they wanted us. I mean, I went everywhere. There were bruising. I would tell. I meant to tell the show about bruising Brody. Bruising said, Tony, you everywhere. He said, there's no place I could go and nobody don't know Tony Atlas. He said, you known in California, you known in Texas, you known here, you known here. He said, I'm just known a few places. Hmm. You know, Bruiser Brody became more popular after his death than what it was when we was living. Sure. And he told me that one time at Canada Shopping. He said, I can't go nowhere where people don't know Tony Atlas because I'm on Georgia Champion Wrestler. Now, there wasn't. And every black wrestler got the best break. Now, what they were, I know this is Black History Month, uh, what they were uh, a lot of, a lot of, and in my opinion, they still have it. There was a lot of sexism. The wrestler felt that wrestling was not the business for women. 
They always felt that. Mm. You know, I used to listen to God. They're like, God, a girl would come to be with a wrestler sexually. Then the wrestler would go back to the dressing room and call her an arena rat. They call her a rat, remember? Right, sure. They was called rats. Mm -hmm. you know, and they did everything for us. I mean, they, they they picked us at the airport. They drove us places. They bought our beer. They bought our food. Is that like a macho thing, though, between the boys? Or it was because they felt that wrestling was something. This is a man job. This is we had no place in wrestling for women. Women should be on the sideline, in the bedroom, in the kitchen, but not in the ring. That's how it was. Same thing in bodybuilding. I, mean, I was in bodybuilding. I saw a lot of sexism in bodybuilding. I'm gonna tell you a story. Now this story was in 1987. We're moving up, right? Mm -hmm. I went to do Monday Night Raw for the WWF at that time. They was there WWF there, right? Or yeah. did they change the no, WWF? They still WWF. WWF. And so anyway, I, I, I went there to, to do a TV taping. They want to do something with Dwayne Johnson. He would wrestle then, not as The Rock, but as, as uh, Rock Maville. Rocky Maville. Rocky Maville. Then he wore the, the, wore the same outfit that his grandfather, Peter Maville, wore. And and they want to do a little a little skit with me and uh, uh, Dwayne. In fact, you probably found a tape where Rock is on the way to the ring and he stopped and hugged me and everything. And then another little pop where Rock was in the ring uh, wrestling. His father jumped in the ring and pulled his shirt off, and I was sitting in all different. But they decided to go a different route with Rock, which kind of uh, left me out. But anyway, getting back to my story, I was sitting there well, in the well, dressing you get room too far. What was the original storyline supposed to be, and then what? What and then? Well, apart. from what Alpha told me, because Alpha was in that time with had a little connection. I uh, wanted a while some more. He said that uh, it would have been good for me and The Rock, but not good for Rocket Johnson. What they want to do, they want to have a match with me and Rocket Johnson, where I just I turn heel and I just kick the crap out of Rocket Johnson, and then. Uh, uh, Dwayne come down and beat me up. Okay. They want me to put Dwayne over. Because, gotcha. you know, like Rick Flash, to be the man, you got to right, beat sure. right. And during that time, I was still in pretty good shape. I mean, I just got through setting the main bench press record that year of 575 pounds. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, I was still, you know, I, I was still in a pretty good, pretty good man. Not like an old piece of crap that I am now, you know, <laughs> old broken down T4 there. But anyway, getting back to the story, I've been in the back of the dressing room and I saw this woman come through with shoulders like this, arms like this, little bitty waist, muscles everywhere. I go, wow, who in the hell is that? So Arnold Scolum, old time wrestler, said, they call her Chana. I said, what do they call her Chana for? I said, Chana's supposed to be something delicate that if you touch it, it breaks. I said, she looks like a piece of steel. Well, this has got to be in the later 90s, though, right? No, no, this was 87. This was 87 still? Yeah. No, that yeah. can't be, right? Because she didn't come in until, like, mid-90s, I think, right? I got to look Maybe it up. late 90s, right? All right, but well, go ahead. She was with Triple H then. All right, so it's got to be later before 90s. Triple H, then we'll be before Triple H okay. and got with Stephanie. All right. Or was it, could it be 97? It could be 97. I think, I think you're probably 97. right. Okay, yeah, yeah. I think, no, no, 87, I, I, I was in Texas. You're right. right. So 97. 97. Gotcha. I just knew it was a 7 there. You, gotcha. You're right, Marty. Thank you, Marty. In 1997, we're doing Monday Night Raw. So <laughs> I went over, I said, how long have you been training? She told me. She told me she got trained by Killer Kowalski. I said, yeah, I, I know Killer. I wrestled him, wrestled him many times. I said, he nearly killed me, that old man. But, you know, Killer, he was a, like a, an aerobic Yeah instructor, you know, he didn't stop. I mean, like doing an aerobic class, you know, you know, Zumba. It was Zumba wrestling with Killer Kowalski. It didn't stop. But anyway, <laughs> I say it must have took a lot of work for you to look like that. I say, you look fantastic. I say, I've been in a lot of bodybuilding contests. I say, I, you would win any bodybuilding contest hands down. I say, you look fantastic. She started crying. And so I, I said, oh, shit, I don't got myself in trouble. I don't piss this girl off. What did I say wrong? And I said, Scola, uh, why is she crying? He said, them tears of joy. And I said, what do you mean? He said, that was the nicest thing that anyone ever said to her since she'd been here. Mm. The nicest thing that anyone said to her since she'd been here. 
I was in a gym with Chana, and the guys were over there doing bench presses. And they had 315 pounds on the bar. Chana walked over and said, can I work in with you guys? Take the three fifteen, like doing wrestling. <laughs> the guys leave the gym. It's like I'm out of here. Nine <laughs> seven. When I first met her, getting back to that day, all the guys are sitting there in the dressing room with their shirts off. Charna walked through the dressing room. Me and Charna, we went through the dressing room, and uh, when we lived through, just went that way through the dressing room, everybody had his shirts off. When me and Charlie came back through the dressing room, everybody had their shirt back on. The thing with Charlie was, she made men feel inferior. You didn't feel big and strong around this woman. Sure. I mean, you felt like you was the weakest sex with mm -hmm. Charlie. Mm -hmm. And Charlie, then you can ask Triple H, because he was in the gym with me when Charlie went over and did that 315. And she did that just to mess with him. You know, but if she was saying she looked like a man, she's a man, she this, she that, look at the chair. They, they talked about her horribly. And the reason the girl became so depressed, because she never really, she was before her time. Today, she would have been good, because now Vince, I got to give him credit, he started a woman, a woman league, you know, where, where women get the same opportunity now in pro wrestling, that they did, uh, uh, that they didn't got. Mm. Blacks always got the opportunity. I mean, you go back to black wrestlers like Sweet Daddy Seeker. This is the fifth and sixth I'm talking about. Bobo Brazil. Bobo Brazil, yeah. Bobo Brazil. He was one of the most popular wrestlers in the world. I mean, he was a main event. Everywhere he went, he fought Andre the Giant. Everybody, Bobo Brazil. But every black wrestler that ever got into that ring got a better opportunity than a white wrestler. So the only person that did not get the opportunity that they deserved during that time, look at Paul Muller and Mae Young. They they didn't get their break until they became senior freaking citizens. Sure. Muller was in her 60s before, before people even know who the hell she was. Sure. And she was world champion for many, many, many years. You know? And that's why I'm doing this program about black history because black history got nothing to do with, in my opinion, this is my opinion, y'all get mad at me, it got nothing to do with black people. Black people, Irish, Scottish, Spanish, are all part of America. And if you read, when he was reading this part, I don't know if y'all caught this, but this part here with, 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 with uh, uh, John Brown. No, it wasn't John Brown, John Quincy Adams. Who would, who the, when he got the ship where did we saw that at? Slave ship. Amistad? Amistad. Okay, read that. Now listen closely. Another spectacular contribution by Adams to the anti-slavery cause was his championing of the cause of Africans arrested aboard a slave ship, Amistad. Slaves who had mutinied to escape from their Spanish owners off no, the coast. Stop. Okay. Now what did you say? To escape from their Spanish owners. Did you say Irish? No, Spanish. Did you say Dutch? No, Spanish. Did you say German? Spanish. Spanish. Spain. That's Spain. That's not America. Spain. Not America. He said, read it again, Spanish owners. owners. Yes. The coast of Cuba. In Spain, they were slaves. In Cuba, in Cuba, they were slaves. In Long Island, New York, they became free. In Long Island, New York. Yes. In, in what year are we talking about here now, Mata? We, we talking are about, talking about... We're in the 1800s. We're we in the 1800s. 1800. 1841. The Spaniard was really, really... Spain was really, really into slavery. The reason America get the blame for slavery, because we were the last of the Mohegan, and we ended it. We were the last of the Mohegan. Yes, slaves came to America. But America also freed the slaves so that no one could use them anymore. The Spain couldn't use them. Ireland couldn't use them. No one could use them anymore. Right here, 
there was something else that I was reading about John Brown, and I and I, I don't want to get too much in it, but y'all look this these people well, up. Y'all gotta look look these people well, up. Well, you know, it's pretty important. I want to I want to say a couple of things, Tony, real quick. Since Before you say that, yep. read this last paragraph. Although Brown failed to spark a general slave revolt, the high moral tone of his defense helped to immortalize him and to hasten the war that would bring uh, emancipation. Yes. Nothing that the gaze of Europe was fixed on America. French novelist Victor Hugo wrote, Brown's hanging would open the latent fissue that is finally split to Union uh, Usunder. Go down to right here. As they marched on into battle during the Civil War, Union soldiers sang a song called John Brown's. Very interesting. John Brown. He was hung. Mm. Strung up. Like you hang on a piece of meat. And why did they hang John Brown? Because John Brown felt that every American should have the freedom and rights, no matter what the color of their skin was. The Civil Rights Movement didn't start with some ladies sitting on a bus and, you know, a hundred years later, it didn't go with some Georgia preacher by the name of Martin Luther King a hundred years later. But I think I think to be it fair, started a hundred years earlier. But I think to be fair, there's always a spark that starts something. That's right? it. And these gentlemen were the, the spark. They the root. Yes, the root, like you said, the, the root of the show. We always look when you look at a tree. Mm. You always see the the leaves. You see the trunk. You see the branches. Mm. What is always left out of every time you look at a tree? What is left out of that tree that nobody ever paying attention? Oh, don't even think about. And you know what that one thing is? This is it. The root of the tree of freedom. These people are the root. That's why they bury. That's why we bury them. Nobody look at the root. If you want to, and they try to kill the root. But they couldn't kill the root because the root had many tentacles. And here's some of the tentacles right here. Here's some of the tentacles. Okay. All right. I think it starts here, Marty, and it goes to about. Right here. But I want to mention these people's names. I don't no, want them to be left out. I want y'all to know In what addition, are these more white folks out. I'm talking about white folks and I'm talking about Black History Month. Ain't that something? You're going to learn something tonight. You're going to learn something. I'm telling you. I'm going to start here and hopefully it captures okay. what you need. He was elected commander-in-chief of the paper government, which is gaining the moral and financial support of Jarrett Smith and several prominent Boston abolishments. Uh, abolished. Yeah. In addition to Smith, this group later referred to as the Secret Six compromised a physician and educator, Samuel Gridley Howe, mm -hmm. teacher and journalist, Franklin Benjamin Sanmore, uh -huh. industrialist, George L. Stearns, and ministers, Thomas Wethington Hingiston and Theodore Parker. Some of them had provided financial support for Brown's effort in the Kansas that would back his next and most famous undertaking. Do we need to say more? So I want to tell you, all y'all people get out here talk about black history, but it's good to give uh, credit where credit is due. It is wrong to bury those that started it. They started it. It's just like we don't talk about Vince Junior, Vince Senior no more. He started it. Just like not talking about Hulk Hogan anymore. WrestleMania started it. <coughs> Every pro wrestler in the world today, Bobby Lashley, all of them, they owe it to Hulk Hogan. He's the root. You can say what you want to say about Hogan. He's the root. He's the guy that gave birth to Stone Cold Steve Austin. He gave birth to uh, 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 Brett the Hitman Hart. 
He gave birth to these people. John Brown, John Christian Adam, and all these other people that Martin. I'm going to have Martin to put this up. And y'all can go and read it yourself. Now, there's more on the computer. I went to the library. I got a nice lady there. And I, called, I couldn't think of all the other people involved. But someday, just sit down black people, especially black people. Sit down and say, go on the computer and say, who was all the Caucasians that fought for my freedom? America is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful country. And no race, no one race ever won any victory by itself. The victory that I had being a WWE Hall of Famer and a bodybuilding Hall of Famer didn't come from the sacrifice of just black people. It was, if that was the case, we wouldn't be here. We want to make up 13% of the American population. Try the hell we do that. How did we become successful with only 13% of the population? How in the hell can we have black congressmen, black mayors, black police officers, black police chiefs? Now, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. That coach that talked about he being racist, discriminating and everything, for his paycheck, you can be racist against me. <laughs> Give me all your racism. For that. I take that paycheck. That man is in a hell of a position. He got no right to say, I don't know his name. John Green. Is that his name? The football coach of the Raiders? Yeah. Okay. Come on, man. See, that's the, the, the stuff we need to get away from. You can't judge a whole race of people on the action of a few. You can't judge a police department for the action of a few. I wouldn't want you to judge me over OJ. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want you to think I'm just like OJ just because I'm black. You know? So us as America, we got to look at all the people. Don't leave people out that have so much, so much involvement. This man had a, this man got strung up. He got strung up for trying to help me. We gave him a stroke fighting for our rights. He had a stroke fighting. And look at all the people with John Brown that he just read to y'all with John Brown that was involved. And guess who killed him? Colonel, Colonel Robert E. Lee. Wow. Wow. They sent a military in after him. Colonel Robert E. Lee. And you know who else was at this? Was, was at this lynching? John Wilkes Booth. Wow. John Wilkes Booth was involved in that. Later Abraham Lincoln's assassin. Wow. Abraham Lincoln assassin went after him first. He was number one on the list. So if you're going to talk about Black History Month, I would like for every American, Black, White, Chinese, whoever, to start at the root. Not in the mother. We always started in the 60s. Mm. We leaving out a hundred years a hundred years of black history. It'd be left out. Why? Because they are Caucasians. So they don't fit. No Caucasian. Oh, no, oh, no, we can't. No, no, no. Yeah, but I help black people. Oh, oh, I don't care. I help free the slave. Oh, I don't care. You got to be black. You got to be black. got to be black. You want my respect? You want my respect? You got to be black. What about my money? Oh, yeah, I take your money. What about my help? Oh, I take your help. Do I get a little credit? Oh, no, you don't get no credit. It's wrong. Over the years, there have been so many Caucasians, Jewish people, Irish, that fought for the right for me to be here. We always talk about American soldiers going overseas fighting for the rights of others. Well, America just, just don't do it overseas. 
We started this stuff. 1849. 1839. 1839. White folks. White people. 1839. And white people got involved. With Tony Atlas. I know a lot of y'all say, well, they should have left that Tony Atlas alone. He's driving, he driving me freaking crazy. Too bad. I'm here now. So this is what I want to do. I want to talk about the root. Because in every plant, every garden, you see the fruit. You never see the root. But the root give life to the tree. Yep. The root give life to the flower. The root give life to every plant. And the root, the root, always, always give life to what grows. And every time I hear him talk about where the lady that started the civil rights movement was, what the lady that sat on the bus there, I can't think of her name right now. But it always started with her. And then Martin Luther King. And what happened before that? And then it they go back a little bit with one with the lady that did the Underground Railroad, but what? Where? How did they do that? How this woman ran the Underground Railroad? Well, that's why they got you, Tom. Now, I'll tell you, no, it wasn't. If you were slaves, who ran the railroad? It wasn't blacks. Hmm. It was white families. They took the slave from one house to another house to another house. To Canada. There were no slaves on the house. So who 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 was in that house? Martians? Aliens? People from space? Mm. Who 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 was running this? She ran and got them and took them where? To white people homes. But do you know these people's name? Do you know her name? Because they were the root. Nobody look at the root of nothing. To solve any problem, you got to look at the root of it. I cut my grass every year. It grows right back. I cut it. It grows back. I cut it. It grows back. I pull it out by the root. It don't come back. And this is the reason why civil rights don't work in America because you have to start at the root of it. Got to start at the root if you want to know what make it grow. This is the root of my freedom. This is the root, not just of my freedom, because it, 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 it spawns over where the Indians got free. This race became free. That race became free. Now in America, we're all on the same same field. If you fail in America today, and you want to look for someone to blame, look in the mirror. I have said this a thousand times. My success in life, I owe to a thousand and thousand of people like Marty here. My success, my failure in life, I owe only to me. For I am the captain of my own ship. Smart man. I make my decision, and I have to live by the decision I make, right or wrong. So I want to thank y'all. Is my hour up real, real, real quick before you go, I'm going to step away. I just want you to answer one question before we get book. Fantastic show. Um, this is why Tuesdays with Tony is one of the best shows around, and we're, we're honored to have you on the channel. I just need to know, I'm going to step away. I just want to know, Tony, what did a wrestler do back in the day to enjoy themselves? I'm going to step away for a few minutes, all right? And yeah, yeah, wait, maybe yeah, you can explain to yeah, the fans. Wait, up. Yeah. And I'll be back. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. yeah, but anyway, <laughs> one of the things, yeah, yeah, one of the things, now wrestling, <clears throat> I don't know how much time I got left in this. Let, let me see how much time I got left. Okay. One of the things that happened to us, 
wrestlers for many, many years, they did not have uh, entertainment. We didn't go to movies. We didn't watch television. What we did, what we did, we create our own fun, our own entertainment. And now every wrestler, one thing about me in wrestling, when I first started started in, 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 in wrestling, when, when I first started in wrestling, one of the things that I took a fan out about is if you wasn't weird, if you wasn't freaking, if you wasn't had something sick about you. <laughs> they used to tell me, you're in the wrong business, kid. I mean, I've seen orgies. I've seen guys being doing doing this. I've seen guys doing that. Now, as you all know, that what Tony Atlas thing has been. Now, everybody say that Tony got a, a foot fetish. Tony do not have a foot fetish. Let's get that straight right away. Tony do not have a foot fetish. Tony Ellis have a shoe fetish. And this is my sidekick. You know why I call him my sidekick? Ah, oh yeah. You see that? That's my sidekick. This is Cloochie. Cloochie is my sidekick. And what I used to do, I used to go back in the room and I used to get a girl and put on a pair of sneakers just like this. And she would do this. And she would do that. That's my sidekick, Coochie. So I want all y'all to meet for the first time on the Monty and the Farrell show. My sidekick, throw them up here. I'm going to slide her around. That's my sidekick. So hello. So now y'all met Tony Atlas. Tony Atlas got a shoe fetish, not a foot fetish. And she's also a very good friend of mine. I've been knowing this young lady for over 20-some years. She's a very good uh, uh, athlete and a good friend. And she traveled with me now. Y'all going to see her on, on the circuit with me. And she helped keep me straight, keep me out of trouble, and help me with my stuff. This is Tony, Mr. USA Atlas, saying good night, along with my, good, with my sidekick, Cloochie. Good night. Good job, Cloochie.